0: Hey there. Uh, Welcome to our SaaS live sessions. Um, I'm your host Anna Dana, head of growth at SaaS Group, serial acquirer, buying wonderful SaaS businesses. And uh, here we talk with SaaS experts about all the things um, happening in the industry to bring more value to founders and help them take their product to the next level. And uh, here with me today is George Hasiotis, managing director at Minutia and um, the founder of growth waves and Shannon, our own content marketing lead at SaaS group. And I'm super excited to have you here. I think it's a great way uh, to start our new sessions of 2024, because even though a lot of marketers have been uh, working on their marketing and SEO strategies, this past, water, uh, but we're still entering an unknown and uh, it's really interesting to to learn what you guys think is ahead. So welcome to the session and uh, let's start with your introductions. Uh, George, will you do the honors?
1: First of all, let me just say that uh, this like, pronunciation of my last name was the best ever on a, on a live recording, so thank you for that. Uh, So, yeah, my name is George, Uh, I'm the Managing Director of Minusia, which is a uh, content marketing agency for SaaS companies. And uh, I also run Growth Waves on the side, which is a newsletter on all things B2B growth. We will send the next issue in a couple of hours, so you might uh, want to subscribe. And I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I want to wish everyone um, Happy New Year, uh, even though it's January 9th already, still Happy New Year everyone and excited to be here and you know discuss everything that's in the agenda for today's session.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Shannon? Yes. Um, hi, George. I'm so happy to finally like meet you and just to discuss a few things today. Um, so just a little bit about me. I am the content marketing lead at SAS Group. Bit of background story. I've sort of been in content for the past 10 years. Um, it's quite a traditional timeline, I would say, um, in terms of my career. I really just I started in print and media production, which is so strange to think now. So going back to print days and then transitioning into the digital space and then focusing more on seo content and specializing in b2b before then of course going into more of a strategic and consulting side of things so yeah that's pretty much my background
0: thank you guys and uh yeah thanks for for remembering happy new year everyone uh (laughs) i mean (laughs) it's been it's been a very um a fast start of the year, so uh, we all forgot that it was there already. Uh, but yeah, happy to see you here. The first question that, that we got uh, is um, about the trends that you're excited um, for 2024, but I actually want to start a little earlier and ask you what has been working for you in 2023, because it has been turbulent and uh, there has been a lot of experimentation um, especially on the content side, I think. Uh, so, yeah, what has been working for you? Could you share maybe a few examples um, that, yeah, that were the best for you, George? Let's start with you.
1: So, I think that two thousand twenty three was the probably the last year, um, which the the old content marketing playbook still, you know, was 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 valid and was helping companies achieve results and this included you know content that was mainly uh text-based content that was mainly uh intended to go to the blog i think that this was the last year um that this playbook which is based on successful companies like hubspot right um i, I don't see how this can can take us to the next uh stage of of growth for most SaaS companies and i think that We are uh, in the transitioning moment right now where we see this old content marketing playbook somehow expiring, uh, if I can use that word, and shifting towards uh, a different playbook where text-based content that goes to the blog and is SEO-focused is not enough anymore. That's not to say that it will not work or it will not be part of the the content programs uh, we run. But it can't be just that, right? So 2023, it was working and it was, you know, it served us well, especially for companies that have brand authority and they have a strong product and they, uh, they have a good reputation overall. Um, but I guess that we have to rethink our approach as we enter 2024 and with all the changes that we anticipate this, this year some of them in the building uh, since 2023 and even you know before that and we, we will talk about that
0: yeah, yeah. sure Shannon what work for you? do you think 2023 is, is old news now?
2: <laughs> no I mean just listening to what George said about like most of the strategies being SEO led which is 100 percent. I think that you know we've been on the same sort of bandwagon in terms of types of content that's been working for us in 2023 was definitely, you know, the the software lists and more the programmatic type of content like glossaries and, you know, looking at comparison pages, et cetera. Um, also looking at a lot more um, transactional content. So really getting into like long form FAQs. Um, if I look at SaaS group as a, you know, as the umbrella, I would definitely say video content has really worked for you, Anna. Um, and you know, with the podcast, and um, we can definitely see that people are engaging with video content a lot more than than text. But yeah, and then of course we get to like the guides and all of that. And I'm not talking guides as in just like long form blog posts. I'm talking like you know specific URL based guides where for instance we had a client where we did about 12 different specific guides and we sort of went live at the same time so everything was indexed together um and that was something that was really powerful so um a lot of brands looking into doing that and yeah just mostly text based stuff as we said uh really worked in
0: 2023 okay so Let's fast forward. We're in 2024. So what do you think is going to change and what are the trends that you're excited about for this year? George?
1: Two main uh, changes this year. The first is uh, search. SEO is changing. And the second one is uh, AI, which of course did not enter the scene uh, this year. Um, But I would say that some of the changes that happen in search are also driven or accelerated by AI, right? So let's start with the first, which is SEO. In May, Google made some announcements uh, regarding its new search experience, which it called Search Generative Experience, SGE, which kind of uh, shuffles things and changes the the experience um, in search. Of course, even though people have access to it, uh, it's still as a product in beta, right? And we don't know how the end product will will look like once integrated in search. Um, however, we we also get some signals about things changing in search. SGE aside, and what I mean by that is we see websites like Reddit uh, getting more and more uh, prominent positions in search, and other websites that are that may be in some cases you know very niche specific. Websites similar to, to Reddit, like Quora, uh, in the sense of, you know, there is a question and there, there is an answer there or answers by, by, by several users. So we see changes already, but we anticipate SGE as the biggest change of the year, right? We don't know exactly how big the impact will be, uh, right? And let's not forget that this is not the first time Google makes a change that... Kind of takes away traffic from uh, publishers, websites, brands, and so on, right? Um, however, we we anticipate that this will be an important uh, change, and how big the impact. I I don't want to make any predictions because no one knows at, at this point, but this is something that you know companies will need to take into account moving forward, especially companies that where SEO drives the content strategy, which is not the ideal place to be right now because at the end of the day you 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 want to diversify right and the second change is ai of course which we don't think that you know will take uh the job of content marketers at least not in the short term but it's definitely going to change it and i would say that we experience a change right now um on a perceptual level even when it comes to how content, text-based content, uh, should be created, how much it should cost, and, and so on, which kind of levels the playing field and changes how both service providers but you know companies themselves approach content. And if anything, I would say that it's is it's at the end of the day, it's the great push we all needed to create content that's substantially better than than AI, and that can, you know, you you can tell the difference without having to, like, use a a tool to to validate the text or anything like that, right? And, of course, on top of that, I would say that this is, this serves, quote-unquote, serves as an accelerator for trying new uh, things out and uh, being more creative and branching beyond, uh, branching out of just text-based content, which right now, even AI can do, right? Um, so these are the, the, the two main changes, and I think that you know they, they will change uh, things. They, they will have a significant impact, let's just say.
0: Oh yeah, I think you, you cannot not talk about AI when you, when you talk about the changes in content in 2024. So what's your take on it, Shannon?
2: Yeah, I mean, if we look at AI, I mean, I don't know how you feel, George, but I feel that it's still not on par with what we expected it to be by now. So obviously there's an uproar and everyone's feeling certain mixed emotions, et cetera. Um, but I would say that AI is probably going to start being used for more than just, you know, content creation. I really hope for that. I mean, I, as a writer, I mean, I I can confidently say I don't really – um, use AI for that but definitely in other areas you know from a strategic perspective or you know things that could save a lot of time like coming up with templates all that kind of stuff so yeah I think AI is definitely growing um, and there's a lot that you can do it with when you do when you use it correctly um, and then just to quickly touch on what you said about search you um, yeah, I think definitely because we don't know what SGE is bringing, it's, it's almost like we have to find ways to be more visible in different areas. And I would say, for me, something that's definitely changing and that I'm seeing a lot more of is influencer marketing in B2B. So something I'm quite excited about is actually just to see how much more businesses or brands invest in sort of niche micro-influencers. Um, I've been seeing quite a bit on LinkedIn and just, you know, seeing how they sort of contract to them and and use them for assisting with digital content creation or training, et cetera. Um, So that's been something that's quite exciting. Um, What else? Um, Obviously, short form content, um, video, et cetera. And then definitely more focused on forums. So something that you mentioned as well with, you know, Reddit getting more visibility as well. Just reddit yes but other forums and more private communities i think people are just trying to get away from all this like synthetic content that's already on google i mean everything's just like regurgitating the same thing so you know really getting to connect with those experts in different forums and private communities um is something that's quite big and then something that i keep seeing is like brands going back to basics i know it sounds so silly um and i mean like we've gone through like so many years of content marketing and like the fundamentals should be in place. But again, like just getting back to a point of like where you establishing yourself as an expert and like an authority in a specific field and also just really getting to know your customers. There's still so much gap in that. Um And there's so much data that's missing uh, that brands and teams don't have. So we kind of just end up just relying on what we see on Google and, you know, just following that same tactic always. So, yeah. That's pretty much my thoughts on on changes that we see coming in the next couple of months
0: all right, thank you and since you started talking about AI and like I said, obviously, like you kind of miss that topic when when you talk about content creation right now, what do you think about like the accuracy of of the content that it generates and like because like there is no way to stop it, right? A lot of content marketers are going to uh, to just go to chat gpt jasper or whatever they're they're using and um ignore the fact that maybe you you shouldn't use it as is uh so how to go about the accuracy of of the content and the the information that it displays shannon maybe let's let's continue with you
2: yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously we have AI detectors and stuff, but I mean, everyone knows that it's not accurate. So I think as a, it's quite a headache for me, I would say, especially when I'm working with freelancers, et cetera, because you still have to do those manual checks. You're going in, you're looking at plagiarism because a lot of these tools are not citing you know, where those sources are coming from and all of that. You have to do the manual legwork yourself and actually do the plagiarism checks, et cetera. And then of course, like, I mean, you have to be some sort of expert in whatever you're speaking about. Um, we've seen so much content where, you know, people are so quick to jump on, um, chat GPT or whatever Googlebot and just create content and just be okay with, with sending that out, not knowing the facts. But that makes it a lot more scarier because you don't know that. So yeah, always having to sort of fact check and yeah, that's becoming a little bit a headache from my side but yeah that's how i sort of feel what do you think george
0: have you noticed because um, like shannon said like the the like ch- um the things that check you for plagiarism and for using ai like i um i would actually play with it uh, for a while when you know chat gpt was just uh all super new and exciting and i i think i would Just like check 10 tools simultaneously and they would all tell me different stuff and that was really fascinating i was like okay so how are we going around it like someone is going to use one thing and tell me you know it's it's completely ai written and somebody's going to to use a different one and you know i'm off the hook so um yeah what's your experience with it
1: for the record I think that there are some valid use cases for AI regarding content creation, especially for text-based content. And I think that if anything, these systems will get better and better, and they will pick up, um, relatively fast, right? The problem is that the content that exists out there, especially if you conduct a search on, on Google, is so bad that you can somehow compare it with AI content right and this is a problem because a lot of these content pieces have been written by by humans who in several cases don't have you know actual experience with the product or you know with what they are uh, talking about. And even, even if they don't have experience, they don't have the expertise or authority to, to talk about these issues and discuss these matters, right? Now, I can be factually inaccurate, and this may, be a, this may not be you know, such a big of a deal for an early stage SaaS uh, that just raised some, some money and is super price sensitive. But imagine if you you use AI for a public saAS company that's also operating in you know the financial niche, right? And imagine if you get something that's inaccurate and this goes uh, live, and then as a public company, your liability towards something that was inaccurate is much bigger than you know a private company that is not uh, being traded in the public markets, right. Who's going to take the responsibility for that? Who's going to make the correction, right? So you can have people in this case do the the job, do the the hard work of editing content, but, and disclaimer, I am a bit biased, obviously, and you can have people like do the work of editing these content pieces, right? But in my experience and in conversations I have with people, from you know the biggest SaaS companies in the world, it doesn't make sense because it takes so much time that, you know, why wouldn't we have a human being writing the content in the first place? Now, once again, there is a lot of bad content out there already. And I would say that content marketers collectively as as a whole kind of gave people and the market the opportunity to kind of equate our work with the work that ai can do the output of an llm right and this is the real problem here that we have to advance our quality and you know the way we we produce content so much that's you know i mean no one can doubt that this is written by a human being and this is written by ai right and of course you know humans can can make mistakes as well just the, the difference is that humans even though that's more you know uh, often seen in in uh, in media, uh, traditional media can make corrections, while AI, you know, is not going to correct a blog post that's already live, right, or a post on social media. Um, so these are my thoughts on on this topic, and I think that you know we, we can go on forever, but it goes it goes back to us and how we approach content creation, um, and using AI as a tool and not relying on it for for everything, but Once again, it has to be obvious that this is uh, work done by humans and this is work done by AI, right? Which, unfortunately, is not the case in many cases, especially if we're talking about content that's that's written for a search audience.
0: That's a really interesting uh, point. I saw this post on LinkedIn. Uh, Have you noticed that ChatGPT has been producing worse content over uh, the period of time that has been released. And maybe the reason behind it is that we feed it such shitty content that it learns from it and becomes dumber (laughs) and, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you're right. Maybe it's on us, uh, but yeah, it's something that we can, uh, go on about forever, but, uh, I've got a different question for you and, uh, I think, well, we produce content to, to make an impact right to to reach some some goals so how to measure the impact of your content what is the best way to do it in b2b SaaS? george let's start with you
1: so had you asked me the the same question last year uh, i wouldn't have a good answer and the reason is that things were going so well that we we didn't have to report on anything, right? We had enough business and things were going really well. And so as an agency, we we, we made a conscious decision a few years back to to not report on anything, right? And just work based on or base our pricing on deliverables, right? However, things have changed. And the reason uh, for approaching things differently nowadays is because Companies went from increased budgets and little to no ROI scrutiny to limited budgets in some cases and high ROI scrutiny, which means that not that they need to assign a dollar value behind everything that they do on on a content marketing level, but there needs to be um, what we call an impact narrative. That at the end of the day, what we do May not, you know, generate MRR or bring, uh, like demo, bringing demos or anything like that. In many cases, it does. But until we get to that point, we have to tell a story. We have to tell a story to the person who is, you know, our point of contact in the company, so that they can communicate that story to their higher ups and, and so on. Right. So, I would say that two things. The first, companies should. Even though that's that's more difficult for early stage companies that cannot afford mix panel or amplitude or any of these you know solutions and can rely just on uh, GA4 which is it's okay but it can't be your ultimate source of truth right and so in cases where you can afford these tools you should definitely make sure that your setup is uh, is right and in many cases because in content marketing we. We can't and we should not try to, as I, as I explained in the beginning, we should not try to attach a dollar value behind every, you know, tactic that we use or every action that we take because this leads to a quote-unquote roification of content marketing, which takes away creativity, right? What you can do in these cases is build impact narratives, which means that let's assume that you have created a, a comparison guide, right? And... You get feedback from your salespeople that this comparison guide is used uh, to close deals right from people who are searching uh, to compare us with this prominent competitor okay maybe you can't attribute you know XMR at the end of the quarter to this guide but you can definitely when you go to to your uh, manager to report on your results and your the results of you know, your team and any service providers like us, uh, you should definitely build an impact narrative around that and explain how this guide contributes to, you know, the overall goals of the marketing department or assists sales in this case, in this example I said, and tell this story that is not the same as saying that, you know, we generated uh, 10K in net new MRR this quarter, but it, you know, it can help in communicating the value of content marketing in the best possible way. And the reason why this is important right now is because budgets have been slashed and they are um, lower in many cases, not in all cases, because we, we see some of our clients accelerating right now. Uh, and also because we are moving towards a roification of content marketing uh, period, which I don't necessarily li- like, uh, especially as a content marketing agency, but you know, it is what it is.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Shannon, what do, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I actually just wanted to touch on what you mentioned about creativity, like the value of creativity. And I just feel like I completely agree. I feel like it's going down just because marketers are, so, are still have the mentality of like these quick wins. And, you know, they're used to dedicating their budgets to quick wins. And because, for instance, with certain types of content marketing, you can't – it's not easy to – provide the return on investment because it's more of a long-term strategy then that becomes sort of like a tricky thing to to kind of judge but um yeah going back to just like reporting and measuring and all of that i think now with with google analytics 4 which is as you say (laughs) um yeah you can't use that as your own like your main single source of truth everyone's a bit icky about it now um, and then of course, like ongoing attribution struggles, et cetera. I think we're getting to a point where we shouldn't be measuring according to sort of fluffy metrics. So like, yes, traffic's important and all of that, but we can't measure the success of a program just based on those things, which we used to do in the past. So I think it's really getting down to more of like measuring your success according to like topic relevance and like your, your share of voice or share of topic in a specific, you know, um, industry um, obviously looking at customer churn, um, looking at lead gen, or obviously your signups, etc. But not just looking at that. Looking at more of the quality of those leads and how they translate to revenue, um, and looking at your your conversion rates and your click through rates and all of that. I think like there's ways to work with those metrics and actually to establish sort of you know. How things are working then just going according to like the same time spent on page traffic all that kind of stuff so i think we definitely need to change the way that we look at how we're measuring it because um especially now with search and stuff and just there being sort of a loophole in in seeing where these traffic where the traffic sources are and where everything's coming from we need to consider other ways as well
1: traditionally traffic has been used as a vehicle for communicating results on behalf of content marketers. And one of the reasons why, which, which was also sort of validated by, by a study, a survey we ran with Superpath uh, last year, a couple of months ago, really. And it sort of validated, one of the questions was, was around that. Most people, if they don't, most content marketers, if they, don't, um, if they deny to report on anything, they will report on traffic most of the time in my experience very few content marketers report on like r- things like revenue or or anything like that right and in fact even though we can debate on that for for hours they shouldn't because or they should but they should also tell you know the story that content marketing cannot be just about driving revenue right now imagine if you use vehicle, you use traffic as a as your vehicle to communicate results and essentially justify your why you should be at at the company right and then google comes one day and takes that away from you or tells you that you know what you should expect like diminishing returns and results now from from your efforts right whether the the impact will be big or or small uh, we will see right but many content marketers are on their toes on their toes right now because exactly because traffic was their main vehicle and you know there's something going to happen to that in 2024. It's already happening uh, since Google is making uh, changes for, for years now. And obviously people don't like that. It, it makes them feel uncomfortable and it makes sense. This is why um, they should start approaching content marketing differently. And this, sh- this, sh- this is also why they should uh, you know, focus on building impact narratives, as I mentioned previously. Um, yeah, that's a small parenthesis.
0: No, that's great. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to come back to, um, to one of the previous questions when we were talking about like new playbooks and how, you know, in 2024, um, we kind of just rely on, on SEO strategy. So, how does your strategy, uh, go beyond SEO content and, uh, why you need to create content for, various media outlets? George, what do you think?
1: So a few couple of months ago, we we published a post on our blog, uh, on Minutia's blog, talking about introducing essentially, since, you know, content marketers like to coin terms, uh, invent and coin terms. And so we introduced the term uh, media singular, which essentially is what many SaaS companies, later stage, uh, obviously, because early stage companies In most cases, can't do something like that. Can't can't execute on something like that. But essentially, a media singular is an entity like a media asset, right? Uh, Which is distinguishable. It has its own name. It has you know it has certain characteristics. And in many cases, this asset, this media singular, may not be tied to or like evaluated uh, against traditional metrics like traffic or anything like that, right? And we see examples of that. I will say a couple. The first that comes to my mind is uh, Paddle Studios by Paddle, right? Which essentially is or was ProfitWell's uh, YouTube channel before uh, Paddle acquired um, ProfitWell and, you know, reintroduced the channel as Paddle Studios, right? Where they publish content that's that's really creative, really, really unique. And you should definitely check it out, especially if you're working at a SaaS company. And this for us is a, is a media singular. Okay. Another example is, you know, even though obviously most, most people know uh, about that, um, HubSpot acquiring the hassle, right? The hassle is a media singular for Hub, for HubSpot. And I think it, 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 it tells a lot the, the fact that HubSpot the company that wrote the old content marketing playbook, in fact, they wrote the playbook. They, they were the first ones, right? Um, that they jumped into this opportunity and they acquired a media asset like The Hassle. And lately, we've been seeing moves like that, very bold moves and very interesting moves from SEM Rush. And they are acquiring uh, assets like you know, Backlingo, which uh, used to be an, an SEO blog, or more recently Traffic Think Tank, right? And we see more and more of these these examples, and I think that this is one of the things that companies need to keep in mind uh, moving forward and once again that's not to say that we we will stop doing uh, what we were doing previously, and you know uh, text- based content that goes to the blog and that's you know SEO driven will stop to to exist that's not the case it's just that companies have to adjust and maybe add a bit more balance uh, to like their, their content marketing efforts and how they approach uh, content marketing.
0: Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Shannon?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I was actually on your blog previously, well, a couple of days ago, and I was trying to learn about that as well, but <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, it just goes down to sort of a multi-channel approach as well, correct?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, oh. that's right. That's right.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I mean like as we were chatting about with the previous question just like rankings and traffic's of traffic obviously can't be the the main way for us to measure sort of like success and um that's why we definitely obviously need to start looking at other forms of content um definitely going into a multi-channel approach of creating more content that's not just focused on pushing sales but more creating that trust factor again what I mentioned you know, I think in the first question, just sort of going back to basics and, and, you know, creating content that is educating, it's building trust. It's not, not everything is just focused on like pushing sales. And then obviously looking at other areas where, you know, you can exist and create visibility without just looking at search as being the main vehicle. So, I mean, really tapping into events and more product content, things like that. So, yeah, just, Definitely focusing on that multi-channel approach. And I mean, it's something that's been around for a while, but I guess now that we really know that that consumers go through so many different formats and channels of content before making a decision. This has become you know something that's really important. And I think uh, what goes hand in hand with that is actually getting platform specialists as well. So like, because we're not just focusing on search anymore, we have to have people that can you know, drive those channels and drive those formats and be be specialists in those fields as well. So um, trying to sort of diversify what you have and what you can offer.
0: Yeah, thank you. All right. That's great. And I think uh, one of the things that that we also have to uh, discuss, because, again, like 2023 has shown us, its face. <laughs> it, it, I think it was it was a different part of the body. But uh, let, I, I won't say it. But um, anyway, it, it was uh, it was a year when a lot of SaaS companies had to get really scrappy, and to to experiment with, with what they have and turn to profitability. So what do you guys think about like the current financial environment and its impact on, on growth oriented services? George?
1: I'm not gonna gonna make any like predictions because I, I try to steer away from from that. But you know, SaaS companies and as an extension, service providers like like us had a good run after uh, following uh, the the COVID outbreak in 2022 in 2020. I'm sorry, and this lasted for about two years. And many things during that period didn't quite seem or watching them as as an uh, as an observer, let's say, both uh, as an insider and, and an outsider, it, it didn't seem uh, natural. Uh, it, it felt somehow, somehow artificial, right? And I would say that what happens right now, and this, this is not just for SaaS companies, but what happens right now is sort of a correction. And I'm not sure whether we will return at least anytime soon to crazy amounts being given to companies as you know series a or series b or series e and f and whatever other letter you you want to use i think this is this is kind of this was a a good run while it lasted but we are at a different you know stage right now and i think it's it's good in the sense that austerity can somehow um, bring discipline to sas companies and Instead of just, you know, pouring money into Google ads and uh, throwing money to problems instead of being creative and being focused and doing the work that will actually bring an impact. So in general, also due to my Greek um, upbringing, I'm fine with austerity. And I know that in some cases, austerity can bring uh, discipline, which I think is, is needed in the SaaS company.
2: Okay, Shannon. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, I th- I think from my side, I can't I can't comment on more of like the you know the financial challenges, etc. But if I'm looking sort of at the economic climate and just looking at layoffs and looking at how like companies are cutting their budgets and all of that, I've I've definitely noticed that um, a lot of marketers are reluctant to sort of experiment with with them with their marketing and with their budgets because they are sort of you know. On a shoestring at the moment but there's definitely ways that you can stretch that budget out and i mean looking at things from an organic growth perspective um we shouldn't give credit to like one specific type of marketing so as you say like pouring all your money into paid ads and all that kind of stuff but <clears throat> again i think it goes with the mentality of just you know wanting these quick wins and um with content marketing in so many different ways being sort of a long-term strategy, it's difficult, as we said earlier, to sort of credit or provide the return on investment as quickly as, you know, potentially paid ads could, et cetera. Although there's issues with that as well (laughs) um, with all that pricing. But um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see that, you know, people well, brands are becoming a little bit tighter, tight fisted and more, reluctant to you know invest in certain activities etc so that's what i've i've noticed from my side.
1: One thing I would like to add if I may here is that the reason why this this previous period was definitely not good was because SaaS companies because they had you know money and access to to capital they would throw money into into ads and in in several cases I know companies were Just the financials, it didn't make sense. And not in terms of like the LTV and, you know, you look at your LTV, you look at your CAC and you say that, you know, this doesn't make sense. But also in terms of, you know, the payback period, because if you keep uh, on average customers with you, let's say 11 months and you see that it takes me 14 months to get my money back. When... Well, this means that for every customer, new customer you acquire, you essentially lose money, right? So I think that these are things that we kind of accepted as a given and we, we sort of, quote unquote, sacrificed uh, for growth, uh, which was growth at all costs. Now the narrative has changed to you know sustainable growth. And once again, I think that this is a good thing.
0: Yeah, and actually, if I can just uh, throw my two cents in here, uh, because I've been talking to so many founders in and Bound, and I'm always asking like for, for their hacks and like what, what has been working for them. And this last year, there has been so many hacks that were really like unconventional and were really like scrappy, but in a very good way, right? A lot of people, a lot of founders have started doing content. And uh, like Shannon said, uh, tapping into like different kinds of events and like really going out there, uh, building trust and putting the face uh, behind the product. So it it has been really fascinating to see. And for a lot, it's been working and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. So like the first kind of shock of not getting like easy access to to capital kind of moved over to give space to a bit more creativity and to like more of a sustainable growth. That's why, like, we've been fairly um, successful with getting like, um, speakers and like partnerships and, you know, experts for for these things, because that's, you know, that adds the visibility and the brand awareness and trust and um, whatnot. So I think, I hope it will continue working the way it works and more companies and more founders will will realize that maybe that's the way that's the way to go and like um come back to to the real world a little bit Uh, but yeah i think we have uh we have time for a couple more questions just really quick uh so could you maybe share um some challenges with scalability of the content because Um, I think that that's been also something that a lot of content marketers uh, has been struggling with. So, yeah, how do you deal with that? Um, Shannon, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, so from my side, I mean, I think scalability has been a conversation for every marketing department. I mean, you're looking at AI, but then you're looking at the quality of that content. And then, of course, you're looking at freelancers and then... From my side I've experienced a lot of freelancers letting me down so it's been it's definitely been tricky trying to get to a point of like you know what works and what these hacks are to be you know more scalable so I mean I would love to hear from George what he's doing (laughs) and how he's working with brands to to overcome those challenges because that's something that I experienced
1: myself. Okay scalability and acceleration and moving faster and you know, publishing, uh, like maintaining a high publishing velocity. Um, a great example of that, by the way, is uh, Descript, and we are uh, covering their story today in one hour and ten minutes uh, at Growth Waves. They maintained a very high publishing velocity in two thousand twenty-three, and in my experience, uh, to, to achieve that and to do that and scale things up, you have to make some compromises, small compromises, right? I can tell you that in most cases, it's okay if, you know, the comma in one sentence, and I'm not even a native English speaker, right? But I can tell you that um, it's okay if the comma is not like here and it's it's there, right? Especially if you're in, in an early stage company, uh, no one cares. No one is going to read your content. So it doesn't matter. Don't obsess over commas and things like that, right? Just get it out there. And by the way, after you get it out there, you can always go back and update it, right? And you have to make small compromises. And people working inside companies and managing or editing content or or reviewing company uh, content should not stress over you know commas and that this doesn't really represent our brand. We don't have any brand. Like you know the chances of uh, surviving after five years as a sales Company are. Three percent um, and chances are that you know your your company, especially if you are at an early stage, will eventually die unless you are working at you know the adobes of the world. You should not stress over uh, you know small details because no one cares. very few people are going to see that and read that, so don't obsess over these details and just you know get things out there that's of course unless you are interested in not scaling these things up and not accelerating. And, you know, we're just publishing four pieces of con per month. And these are case studies and customer stories and narratives and things like that. That's a completely different, you know, story. If that's the case, you should care, right? Again, you shouldn't stress over commas, but you should care. But if you want to accelerate and scale things up, just, you know, just hit the publish button and don't stress over and don't make the life of service providers like us uh, more difficult uh that's that's my opinion on this
0: i think that's a great advice yeah and uh, that's also something that that we've been discussing on the podcast a lot like uh you just you have to stop overthinking it and just like be genuine and and build uh build the trust and build that visibility because um, yeah, I think George is, George is right. It's it's worse if uh, people don't know about you, right? Know nothing about you. There is no uh, content because you know you're obsessing over making it perfect rather than just you know publishing everything that you can. Just uh, well, building in public, I think, is a great uh, way to go if you're a really early stage.
1: One last quick quick story to illustrate that very quickly. We worked with a Series A company. Um, it was one of our, you know, most difficult, um, let's say, experiences with a client. Our team had to, you know, face a very difficult—is the word—editorial um, process, and the company ran out of money and died after a few months, right? So, what's the point? Just get it out there, and, you know, uh, it's okay. You can always go back and, and update it. <laughs> That's all.
0: That was a horror story for, for the kids of SaaS founders. So, but, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's that's a great example, but something that content marketers have been asking, uh, before, uh, when we announced this session and I remember there was a post from, uh, from a content marketer that had a poll in it, uh, asking like, is it possible to. Be a content marketer, content creator and not have burnout. And there were like three, three options, like, no, no, <laughs> and like really no. So what is, um, yeah, is there a trick for you? Cause you guys, you know, you, you work with content, uh, for so long and I won't even pitch in here, um, because I, I found so much gray hair earlier this morning, but, um. Yeah, how to produce a ton of content, how to be motivated, how to be inspired and not get burned out. Um, George, any advice?
1: Disclaimer, I will be very biased here, but if you're a, an in-house content marketer and you want to avoid uh, burnout, you can outsource stuff. Outsource.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's brilliant.
2: That's a great one. Uh, Shannon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, obviously, outsource? I agree. <laughs> I mean, I try to, but yeah, that's definitely something that um, we have to do more of this year. But um, so I agree with that. And then I think like a lot of burnout comes from information overload and just like information fatigue, basically. Like if you're looking on LinkedIn every day, I mean, there's just so much going on and so many people's tactics and like cool things and there's just like a next shiny object all the time so i think that when you're thinking of like content creation burnout it, it it's directly related to that it's just you're trying to get around too much and you're trying to do too much of what's out there and instead of just sticking to one thing that really works. so yeah i would honestly just suggest to to stay away <laughs> to stay away from all these um you know, intense conversations and people putting out these case studies that if, for instance, you're not working in the industry, you would know that there's so much more to it, but someone that would just read it um, and how they've gone from, you know, five 5,000 to 5 million in t- two minutes. It's just like, if you've been working in the industry, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. So just taking everything you see with a pinch of salt and just like, obviously knowing what your roadmap is, what your playbook is and playbook important um and yeah just trying to to keep things afloat without getting overwhelmed with what's what's happening around you
0: thank you i think that's a great advice we should all learn that (laughs) that's what i'm going to do uh later today i guess uh so thank you guys so much for for this session i think um we still have uh, a couple of questions left but uh Maybe we can do it again sometime, all right, uh, get it out there. Because I think this is a never ending topic, right? We could talk uh, for a couple more hours here easily. Uh, but it's been great um, seeing what, what you think 2024 is going to, to be for content marketers. And hopefully it, um, yeah it was helpful for everyone who's been listening. So thank you guys for being here. Great. And thank you so much for having us.
2: Um, yeah, as you say, we can talk for hours because it's such a subjective thing. I think everyone's got so many different opinions and, um, which is nice. Everyone's always gonna, you know, disagree on certain things and that's how you learn. So, um, yeah, it was great. And I hope we can do it again soon.
1: Thank you. That was, that was fun. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm glad it was. It was for us. Definitely. So yeah. Thanks for being here and yeah. Take care.